Welcome to the Cycling BC podcast, where we connect you to members of the cycling community to discuss events, training, nutrition, racing, and just about everything that has anything to do with cycling. Hi, everybody. This is Jarek from the team at Cycling BC. Thanks for hitting play and listening to another episode of the Cycling BC podcast. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking to Canadian Cycling Hall of Famer and recent BC Sports Hall of Fame Class of 2020 inductee, former pro cyclist, and the first North American to don the yellow jersey of the Tour de France, Alex Stida. But first of all, thank you for, for making the time and taking the time to, to join us on the Cycling BC podcast. It's an honor to, to be speaking with you. And uh, so, you know, everybody's got a podcast these days. And so why yeah. not us as well, right? And I'm sure you've been on, on many um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more lately, and uh, I'm doing some work with Flow Bikes. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, that's been really that's been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like <laughs> I just hung out with you and uh, and Sueno watching the uh, the the watch party on on the Flow Bikes coverage of the Tour de France. And you know, yeah. we have a well, we have a partnership with Flow Bikes this year, where Cycling BC members can get a a discount on a subscription to Flow Bikes. So hopefully, a lot of our yeah. members have been seeing the coverage that flow bikes is putting out. Uh, it's great that they're there. They have cyclists like your former pros like yourself and Swain. And I saw who was on today. Um, Rob, Britton. Rob, Brit- Rob Britton with Swain. So <clears throat> it's, it's fantastic to get your viewpoints kind of as the race is going on and kind of yeah. the insider's perspective of what happens in, in a big race like that. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's been far, you know, the, the folks at Flow Bikes, they're based in Austin, Texas. So it, it's really cool that they're paying attention to the Canadian market and bringing us on. Um, so tomorrow for Saturday's stage, um, I'm going to be hosting and uh, okay. Swain is going to be my co-host. So it'll be Swain and me, two, Canadian, two Canucks. That's awesome, two BC boys. Watching that's the awesome. race, telling stories. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's excellent. So I'll, I'll make sure I talk about, you know, cycling in BC, you know, back in the day with Swain, maybe I'll, I'll get a story out of him or something. Oh, that would, that would be fantastic. I'll, I'll tune in for sure. Yeah, so it's not yeah. your first time being a member of a Sports Hall of Fame, being already a Canadian Sports Hall of Fame member, a Coquitlam Sports Hall of Fame member, and now a BC Sports Hall of Fame member. Like, what does this one mean to you? Oh, you know, it's interesting. Um, the process to be inducted or even to be put forward in the BC Sports Hall of Fame is very involved. I needed to have someone sponsor me. Um, and uh, a, a guy who I didn't even really know in Kelowna, um, and gosh, I can't remember his name offhand, sorry, um, contacted me uh, and said, hey, a few people said I should talk to you, Alex, about putting this together. So he got he had me put together all these files and background and online links and and then he submitted on my behalf and i didn't actually get through the first time because i think the sedine twins were inducted and so that so the next year which is last year uh they uh they accepted my nomination so super uh honored to be a part of that you know i had a tour through the the hall um in uh, in bc place and well they've done such a great job with uh, collecting memorabilia and honoring all the different uh, sports um, and, and you know, teams as well as individuals that have come from, from BC. Yeah, absolutely. So c- congratulations on that. And as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of other great BC 
athletes that are recognized in the hall. Cycling BC has actually held our award ceremony at the BC Sports Hall of Fame for the past couple of years. And it's great oh, seeing okay. some of the, the memorabilia and some of the other cyclists that are honored in the Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, so you are in the company of, of some legends like uh, Torchy Peterson, uh, Jim Davies, Lauren Atkinson. Who else is in there? Allison Sider, Brian Allison Walton. Allison Sider, Brian Walton. Um, did, you did you have any connect? I know some of them are no longer with us. Some of them may be a little hmm. older or younger than you. Did you have any connection to any of the other members of the sports hall that are in there for, for cycling? Allison Sider, you know, I mean, she's just been an iron lady of, of mountain biking. And, uh, you know, she just loves cycling. She rides to this day. Um, Brian Walton, I don't see that much. I saw him at the um, Canadian... Uh, cycling Hall of Fame induction, which was really cool to see him there. But um, yeah, so there's uh, there's been a few folks, and I knew Lauren Atkinson back in the day when I raced was racing at China Creek at the outdoor velodrome okay. off of Broadway. And uh, Lauren was just such a huge uh, supporter of cycling, like just did everything he could to support the sport in uh, in the Vancouver Lower Mainland, especially. Right. So, who are some of your other sports heroes? Um, whether they were in cycling or outside of cycling. And one of the other um, inductees into, the, into your class at the BC Sports Hall of Fame is, you know, Captain Kirk, Kirk McLean. I grew up watching, uh, you know, the 94 Canucks uh, playoff run and Kirk McLean leading the way in goal. So who, who did you look up to growing up uh, in the BC kind of sports scene? Well, I was a hockey fan growing up in Coquitlam. Uh, just, you know, always had the Canucks on the radio with Jim Robson doing the play-by-play. -play. I mean, that was just classic. It just it, you know, right. didn't, didn't have too much TV to watch then, and it was more on the radio. And, um, you know, Tony Esposito was really my hero, I have to say. He wasn't from BC, of course. He's a goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, from, you know, the Esposito brothers. I really wanted to be a goalie growing up, and I, I played um, – uh, minor hockey in Coquitlam and all the way up to juvenile A-Rep um, with the Coquitlam Blackhawks. Uh, so there was a Blackhawk connection there. I don't okay. know. But, uh, um, I really loved playing hockey. I, unfortunately, it didn't go, I couldn't go further than, you know, Coquitlam, but uh, right. it, it really, um, you know, I think playing hockey really uh, raised my level of awareness of, of athletics and what it took to train and, um, that anaerobic power that I developed from playing hockey was really helped me when I went to cycling because track cycling was the thing that I was good at right away because of the anaerobic power I developed as, a, as an ice hockey player. Uh, without the hockey background, I don't think I would have excelled at track cycling. I had that short burst of power that was just explosive. And then I developed some, some aerobic power by just doing more road riding. And then I was able to have a nice turn of speed at the end of a road race because of that, all that history. Okay. So how long did you play hockey for and how did you transition into cycling? Yeah, I started when I was like 11 years old. I was pretty skinny, uh, 11 year old. So uh, my parents didn't want me starting sooner than that, which is fine. I was actually a figure skater before that. So I learned how to skate properly. Oh, wow. Um, played a little baseball, a little bit of soccer. Uh, anyway, but hockey was, was really something I, I just really, really wanted to do. Uh, went through till 16, 17 years old in juvenile. Uh, but the reason I was riding in that summer of 70, let's say 76, 77, was because I wanted to stay in shape for, hockey, for the winter hockey season. 
So I started riding my bike. And lo and behold, it turns out that my mom, who grew up in England, and her dad, my grandfather in England, they used to ride a lot. In fact, they did a lot of sort of randonneur type rides. Sure. And um, that, all that history started coming out. And because my mom was familiar with cycling, she, it wasn't, it was, she wasn't afraid of it. Like she, she right. encouraged me. And then my dad, you know, got involved uh, from a race organization perspective with Jim Davies. And um, yeah, it was sort of a family affair that just sort of started growing and growing. Okay. So you come from a cycling family, unbeknownst to you before you were that's right. or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, just, so, just kind of a weird coincidence of events. Yeah. Okay. So you grew, you grew up in Coquitlam. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Centennial, uh, Winslow Junior, and then Centennial Senior High. Okay. I heard Centennial was the only high school in Coquitlam at one point in time. So everybody from back in the day went to Centennial. Yeah, all the junior highs fed into the senior high in Centennial, grade 11 and 12. I played volleyball through junior and senior high. Um, I couldn't jump very good. You know, I didn't have a very good <laughs> jump at all. Uh, so I was a back row specialist and, and a setter uh, with, with the giants of the team. And, uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the team aspect of volleyball. Um, and that really sort of just like the team aspect of hockey was something that drew me to cycling because you have to be a, you know, a strong individual, but you also get to be a part of a really cool team environment, uh, at all sorts of different levels in cycling. So growing up in Coquitlam, you used to, you, you rode everywhere from, from the area. I imagine what's, what, what do you think in your opinion is the toughest climb? In Coquitlam, BC. Oh, Snake Hill, no question. And if okay. you call it, just, just so call it Snake Hill. Is that the one at Clark? It goes into Clark. It goes down to it goes down to Port Moody. Goes down to Port Moody, yeah, and turns into North Road in, in on the Burnaby side. Snake Hill. Uh, if if you take uh, Gatonsbury, okay, and you get to uh, Coma Lake Road, and yeah, then you keep yeah. going down straight down. Oh, that's Snake Hill down Gatonsbury. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that. That's really, really steep and hard. Yeah. 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 So I, because I lived up by Como Lake, every ride that I did finished on a climb. I hear you. Yeah. It's tough, right? Yeah. So I think that was really good for my development as a cyclist because I really had to dig deep at the end of every road ride, especially the long, you know, 100 mile rides we did out up in the Fraser Valley up by Mission. Um, and yeah, sometimes I'd, ha I'd be so tired. I'd have to come up one block and then do a circle on a side street and then do another block, do a circle on the side street, do another block circle and just, <laughs> just to get home. Just to and, flat it out know, a bit. Yeah. And you know, I had full fenders on mud flaps, you know, rain gear and soaking wet, just dead. Um, yeah, I really, I really had to dig deep and uh, that, that I think really, you know, did me well for, uh, for the future. So going from, from using your, your bike to train in the hockey off season, how did you transition that into getting into the BC racing scene? Well, that's a great question. You know, I, it was a, another confluence of events. So um, a neighbor, a couple, a couple houses down, Harold Bridge was a member of Cycling BC at the time. And his wife, Joan, was the president, actually. So he was a oh. randonneur and he took me on some rides and then said, you know, you should try going out to these uh, veterans time trials out at UBC. And it was a 10 mile time trial out and back uh, through the uh, S turns essentially. And uh, I would ride out there from Coquitlam. 
and then be there enough time to cool down and then go for this 10 mile and then ride home all the way down 49th Street. Uh, I mean, that, that was, you know, Thursdays were a big day. Um, and so that was, you yeah, know, that was pretty fun. Wednesday nights was track racing at China Creek. And then we went down to, uh, to race track at Marymore in Seattle on Fridays. But the thing that really got me, you know, hooked into the sport were the guys who I ended up palling around with as juniors. So Bruce Spicer, Brian Green, Neil Davies, Corey Sinclair, Bull Palfer a little bit too. You know, those guys, we, we just we did so many road trips together, sharing hotel rooms, uh, sharing cars, you know, gas money, whatever. Uh, it was just, it was just such a fun, crazy, you know, uh, time with no pressure, just going out and racing, riding together, suffering together, of course. But we also had this teamwork aspect where we would, you know, play off each other and learn those tactics, which was, uh, which was super, super fun. I'll, I'll cherish those days forever. So, so you got into the road races, but you mentioned you also raced on the track at China, China Creek. Um, were, were those two disciplines kind of like, if you did one, you were going to do the other, uh, back then there seems to be a a natural crossover between the two disciplines. Well, there is, and it depends. Like we were, uh, you know, more, more, uh, focused on the endurance part of track cycling, not so much the sprinting, but as juniors, we did everything. And to top it off, we had this amazing coach by the name of Baz Lysett. He lives in Victoria now, retired, but he was there. And I couldn't, I still can't believe he was there at the same time. And he was coaching us on the track, riding with us in, on the road, in the, in the echelons, showing us how to, to, uh, to, to take a pull and, and take turns and uh, giving us intervals to do on the track, taking us to the nationals, you know, and coaching us there. Baz was the, you know, the glue that held us all together. Yeah, and it was it was just something I didn't even question it. We did track and road. We raced track, we raced road, uh, and we did it during the season. It was because it was an outdoor track. We didn't do track in the winter, like because you have an indoor track now in Burnaby. Right. It was part of the season. So okay. sometimes we'd be down in Seattle. We'd drive down with our road bikes and track bikes on Friday night, race Marymore on Friday night. But we'd have our road bikes there, and we'd do road racing in seattle or portland on saturday and or sunday and come back late sunday night you know okay. go go back to high school in centennial and you know people would ask well how was your weekend i was like ah i had a lot of fun yeah, yeah we were down in seattle portland they were like what where were you right what are you doing yeah no clue how would you describe the the community at time sounds like it was it was very niche very small and yeah. When you go back to your high school, nobody knows what you're talking about or can relate. So what, what was it like back then? Well, I was fortunate. You know, the, uh, the, the, the people inside the sport at the time um, were very, very supportive of any young rider that came up. Uh, um, and so we had a lot of mentorship from some of the older riders. And Ron Heyman was one of our key mentors. You know, he was a pro at the time. We just totally looked up to Ron and anything he did, we wanted to do. And we just followed around like puppy dogs. Um, and then there's some of the older guys like Max Grace and Roger Sumner, right? He, he, he started the Gastown Grand Prix back in the day. Right. All right. I'm going to miss a few guys, but um, there was certainly uh, some of the older gentlemen who were passing on the knowledge in a traditional way that, that clubs did in, in, uh, in England, especially. 
uh, and in Europe, but, uh, that you know, whenever we'd go on training rides, we'd learn from them about you know training and how to dress properly and how to ride properly and how to be, you know just be ready for the weather and eat during a ride and you know all these things, little things that you that you would just pick up along the way and you'd probably have to bonk first coming back from mission on, on uh, zero Avenue or something. And then you'd, then you'd go, Oh yeah, I guess that was important. Wasn't it? You know, kind of thing. And that really was really, um, you know, school of hard knocks, but they definitely were there. The, 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 the cycling community was there to support everyone else and they all looked out for each other. That's great to hear. It's great that mm. you had people like Baz and, and Ron, Heyman to to support you. How important yeah. do you think it is for our juniors these days to have people like that as a mentor to guide them along the way and kind of show them the ropes? And how would you suggest juniors, you know, find a mentor in the sport? Well, there's a few different ways. You know, first of all, is is you know the club system is super important. So you know, be, belonging to a cycling club super important and there's always going to be someone with more experience on the club that's that's sharing the information with with the youngsters um and and there's lots of folks that are doing that in bc um you know leslie thomason does a great job with with her with her group um and andrew penfold and um you know there's just a there's, there's a myriad of of ex ex riders that are around now whether it's victoria vancouver interior that are helping and, and putting time back into the sport. And if you show as a young junior, if you show initiative, um, there will be people there to help you. I'm, I'm sure of it. And yeah, just because the ecosystem is so much bigger now than it was before. Right. And you work with a, a junior group out in Alberta, the, the uh, Juventus uh, youth cycling, cycling group. And what's your role there? And how do you, how are you involved in that? So with the Aventus Cycling Club here in Edmonton, um, I'm one of the lead coaches for the U15 program. So I'm on the uh, executive this year and probably for next year as well. Um, so just to help, you know, with some planning of events and things, but uh, primarily my, I view my role as, as a mentor for these young U15 kids to get them ready from a skills perspective and a training perspective for a U17 program that we can then put them into as young juniors. Um, and that's tricky because that transition can be often very um, tenuous, you know, because it's it, you're going from a time when you're just fun, having fun, learning skills, doing a few fun races, and then you 17 hits and you're going to the Heyman Classic and yeah. you're doing real junior bike racing. And all the races, is, you know, a field of 30 or 40, 50 juniors. Whereas in Ed if you're in Edmonton racing juniors, so often you have to race with the older juniors or there might be three or four of you in your age group, totally different scenario. So, you know, it's important that if any of these kids, um, girls or boys want to be a bike racer, I kind of help point them in the right direction and connect them with our junior coaches, make sure the parents know what's coming and all those good things. That's great. Uh, I appreciate you doing that. We always like to see growth in the sport kind of at that young level and people and coaches helping the young riders um along what well and i would add so many people helped me when i was young for no money no, they didn't get paid uh and i feel it's just something i need to do i need to put give back to the sport and if i have the time i'm gonna do it that's great that's fantastic what opportunities do you see uh in in the growth of the sport for that 
age group and what can we do to help push that along? Well, it's tricky. Absolutely. You know, and I think Ron Heyman puts it best. And when he says, you know, more racing is better. You know, the more you race, the more you're going to learn, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn how to improve your, your racing, your tactics and your, your capabilities, understand yourself better so you can train better. Um, so putting on more races is important, you know, and if you can, if you can race on the track that much, if you, that, that gives you that much more experience as a, as a bike racer, track riding is the basis for everything. And I strongly encourage any young uh, aspiring junior track bike rider to go to the track and consistently ride the track as you know, two, at least say twice a week over the winter and maybe even once a week over the summer, depending on the program. But uh, track riding is, is the base for everything. And it teaches you so much about riding a bike. You know, speaking of track riding, we have, as you mentioned, an indoor track here in Burnaby, Burnaby Velodrome. And there is an outdoor track over on the island, uh, the Greater Victoria uh, Velodrome Association. Um, you guys have a, an outdoor track in Edmonton, but I know there is also a, a project to build an indoor track in Edmonton. How is that coming along? Well, it's it's coming along slowly. Uh, we're working closely with the city and the, uh, the the triathlon association here, so we can build a consensus for a multi-purpose uh, venue that includes a cycling track, and that's really the key. It's not just for cycling; it's for running. It's connected to a swimming pool. It'll have indoor court sports, uh, and it's it's really a community center that also includes cycling. Okay. Uh, and, and are you involved? That's in that that's going. It'll be the key. Pardon me? Are, you, are you involved in, in the development of that at all? Uh, peripherally. I'm not hands-on with, with the team, but certainly helping with uh, being a booster and, and promoting. And, you know, we're also looking for additional fundraising as well. So, you know, connecting where I can. Okay, great. Uh, I think that's going to mean a lot for cyclists in not only in Alberta, but even in, in the West here, being able to, to host more, like you said, more events at different facilities against different racers uh i think that's going to be a huge boost for for the sport well we saw what the uh, velodrome in milton did for uh, track cycling in the east uh it's it's just created this amazing base of of uh of cycling and the you know the the national team program is really based around uh sprint and endurance track cycling uh, and they have really done some amazing work with these athletes in at Milton uh, at the track there uh, around, you know, sprint and endurance track cycling. And we saw, I mean, it's, it's such a cool uh, example. Kelsey Mitchell from Edmonton tried out with the RBC um, development program. Uh, she was a soccer player up until about three years ago. They put her on an ergo trainer. Her numbers were like through the roof. And someone said, Someone, I'm not sure exactly who, it might have been Alex Ongaro actually, but they grabbed her and said, you should try being a sprint cyclist on the track because you yeah. have the right numbers. Right, we got to get her on a bike. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, she's like just killing it. And so there's just, and that she's just one of the success stories. The team pursuit for men and women uh, has just done so, so great. They've just set records uh, and, and medaled at the uh, World Cups. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I think really that's the future. And, you know, for whenever I talk to the, any junior kids here in Edmonton, I talk about the fact that 
as, as a, an endurance track rider, that's your best chance to go to the Olympics. You really can because they take five riders to the Olympics for team pursuit. And then, you know, the fifth is a spare right. Right. and that person can also do the points race or, you know, a, a, another event or two Omnium um, and, and be the spare rider for team pursuit. So, you know, as opposed to sprinter, you know, they take two if you have, if you've got all the times endurance track riding is, is the way to go. So we've talked a little bit about what you do with the youth and, and the junior categories. I'm going to kind of switch it to the other end of the spectrum for the, the older guys um, that are just getting into the sport, you know, some of your master's riders that are just entering the, the sport later, the later stage, what would you, would, what would you tell them? What would you say to them in terms of cycling and, and keeping up with the sport? You're obviously, you know, an ex pro, but you're still in great shape. And I know you cycle all the time. What do you say to the, the older guys in terms of getting them more involved in, in the sport? Well, I guess it depends. It depends what you, what you want to do as a master's athlete. If you want to, you know, win, win bike races, or if you, you know, trying to just ride more and enjoy and you know, get fit, I would say the best thing to do is get a coach, uh, whether it's an online coach uh, through Sufferfest or Zwift or, um, you know, working with a personal coach, a cycling coach in, uh, you know, wherever you live. But the online, online coaching can be very, very effective. In fact, I did a, a, a I worked with Sufferfest over the winter to get in shape for the um, Grand Fonda World Championships. We're supposed to be in Vancouver this year. Right. And I got myself into such good shape by using my Wahoo kicker and a Sufferfest coach starting in January. I, I was shocked at how good I felt because of all that hard training I did January, February, March, April. And even now I'm feeling great riding my bike. So getting a coach is important. So you use your time wisely, set some goals, just like anything else, you know, and, and uh, you know, put some micro goals along, you know, some steps along the way, uh, you know, and um, then you can really start to you know, get something out of the sport because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're planning, you're looking ahead, anticipating and uh, striving towards those goals. And to me, but, I, but at the same time, I think you still have to make time for enjoyable rides, what rides when you don't really have to go hard and just go out with a few guys. Don't worry if you have to, if you're going to stop for a coffee, just have a day where you don't stress about the training intensity. Don't look, don't look at your power meter or your heart rate monitor and just go enjoy riding for the sake of riding. Right. And don't forget about that so important and i think a a lot of people have started to remember that during this time of of covid where there aren't kind of races to shoot for or or goals to attain uh in terms of races but the people are just out riding their bikes just for the the pure joy of it again which is is nice to see so you you're you're covering the tour de france with with flow bikes and having um the watch party when you watch the tour now What's one thing that sticks out that that has changed significantly? Um, and you can take this any way you want. It could be with regards to the equipment and gear or the processes. And what's one thing that has really hasn't changed very much at all from when you were riding the tour? And I'll give you one thing that my daughter said to me with, with one of the things that I noticed has changed. Like back when you were riding, I showed her a, a, a clip. She's like, yeah. They're not wearing any helmets, Dad. Yeah. Why aren't they wearing any helmets? And you know, I watched that clip of you at the uh, 
at the tour where, where you're going for the, uh, the leader's jersey. And uh, I think you had one of those old school helmets on. Hairnets. Hairnet yeah. helmets, right? So that has changed significantly from my daughter's eyes like there were there are no helmets or very few helmets yeah, yeah. Um, what what in, in your view has has changed drastically and what hasn't changed very much sure yeah you know so i mean obviously technology has has changed the sport dramatically over the years and it hasn't happened overnight but it's you know evolved over time so having race radio so the guys have the uh, earpieces in and you know that in my mind takes away some of the spontaneity of the race because uh, back when we were racing, we had to sort of think about it on the, on, on the fly and work, out, work it out ourselves. Now the directors are telling them in the air when to go, what manners the gap, you know, if there's a crash, everyone stop. Uh, so there's, you know, the riders have less to think for themselves and uh, are just waiting for the call in their ear. Fair enough. So, you know, good or bad. I mean, you could take it either way. But so that technology has just changed the way the sport is managed. Um, you know, the way the bikes are built, I mean, our bikes were 22, 23 pounds. Now, well, there's what, 6.8 kilos and you know, maybe they're barely 15 pounds. You know, amazing. But it, the thing is, everyone's on the same bike. Just right. like when we were racing, everyone's on the same bike. So in reality, it was, it's, it's, you know, it's not that much different. In fact, what's interesting is that the average speed isn't really that much different. Ah, it's, it's just, okay. you know, the average speed of Tour de France, you know, in the, um, in the eighties was, you know, 40, around 40 kilometers an hour. Now it's maybe 41, 42 kilometers an hour. It's not that much faster. Now, I guess we could talk about the elephant in the room and that would be doping. Okay. Um, the doping controls back in the eighties were, let's say rudimentary at best. Um, there were controls, uh, and, uh, guys would get caught positive. Uh, but there was more stuff happening behind the scenes that, you know, that people were getting away with stuff. Uh, and I saw some of it and it really was disheartening to see. Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, it wasn't that something that I really wanted to, I wanted to be involved with at all. Um, but nowadays it's such a different game. The controls, uh, the doping controls and the way the riders are pressured into not doping is a, a game changer. You know, there's, yes. There's always going to be guys trying to cheat. Absolutely. All right. But I think it's, it's, it's flipped. Like there's, there's 97% of the guys that are riding clean, trying to do everything in their power to get, you know, an advantage in a legal way, whether it, you know, it's just measuring, you know, weighing their food, uh, taking in the right type of food, um, you know, they're using, um, uh, compression uh, leg leggings you know to help re, you know, with recovery right. at night you know all these things it's, it's just they're, they're they're doing everything they can within the legal limits to um, to to get the best out of their bodies and to me this is the right time to be you know a professional cyclist a professional athlete especially cycling because the controls are so strong yeah now what hasn't changed you know the the guy still have to ride the the distance and they still have to do their work for the team you know someone still has to go get the bottles and bring come up in and bring bottles up yes there's more organization because there's radios involved and there's you know team personnel on the side of the road there's more of that but the guys still have to do the work and it's still a huge team effort you know there has to be domestiques all dedicated to helping one guy otherwise there's you know much less chance of success so that that 
that group dynamic, that team dynamic is still mm-hmm. there. It's still as big as it was then. That's great. So for, for those who are new to bike racing and watching the Tour de France for the first time, perhaps, what sort of things should they look out for? You mentioned already, you know, the team aspect of it. It's not just one individual rider, but there's a team around that rider that's helping, um, helping them. What, what, should, what should we look out for from kind of a tactical perspective that, you know, may not be readily apparent to, to somebody that's new? Yeah, and I think that, you know, the, 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 the fact that there's, you know, domestiques that are, that are sacrificing their bodies for their leader is really a key thing. So if you look for, you know, if you were to look at Primoz Roglic, for instance, or uh, Pogacar or Bernal, those guys, if you watch them in the race prior to the last climb of, of a day or, you know, especially Sunday, and well, you maybe not sure when this is going to air, but, you know, the, you know, those guys, the leaders, their face never hits the wind until absolutely necessary. Um, we okay. saw today when um, Roman Bardet crashed, the director got on the radio, every one of their of Bardet's teammates from AG2R stopped. They got Bardet rolling and the whole team brought him back into the peloton. Unfortunately, I uh, just found out he's got a concussion and he won't be able to continue the race. But the fact, you know, the whole team was there to support him. That's what I would encourage people to look at because typically cycling can be a very individual sport right. at, at the sort of local level. Right. But as you go up through the ranks, the team aspect becomes more and more and more important. I uh, appreciate that. You already mentioned some names uh, from the tour. Do you have any favorites uh, for, for the tour this year? You know, I guess, you know, from a, the sprinter perspective, uh, I really like what Sam Bennett is doing, how he's carrying himself. Uh, some of the other sprinters, don't mention their names, are a little <laughs> bit uh, getting a little cocky um, and uh, feeling like, you know, they're special and they deserve special treatment. No, you don't deserve special treatment. You are just one of the other guys. And it's up to you to also be safe and, and sprint safely. And, you know, yes, yeah, sprinters have to be aggressive and there's a fine line there. But, you know, watching Bennett, when he realized he had won that stage and he'd taken over the green jersey and he was crying in his interview, I mean, right. that just broke my heart. That was just so, so good. You know, it was just so, such a great, um, great, great moment. So from a sprinter perspective, really like uh, Sam Bennett, uh, young Irish guy. Um, and he's from, uh, you know, same town as uh, Sean Kelly, Kerry Conchur, uh and the I race with Sean Kelly and uh, love hearing, you know, Sean's take on things too. Um, but, oh, you know, overall, um, you know, I, I kind of like, uh, you know, Primoz Roglic, yeah. you know, he's such a quiet guy, just that, you know, only he goes about his business, very, you know, very kind of methodical, he used to be a, a ski jumper, for goodness sake, the fact that he came from ski jumping and, you know, found cycling and, you know, has done so well, um, yeah, I just love the way the guys go when a guy goes through goes into the sport and becomes very businesslike and very methodical. I really like the way you know people like that ride. Right. Cool. Well, we're about halfway through, so we'll see how the rest of it plays out. And yeah, we'll look forward to to hearing you on on flow bikes. And um, but uh, do you have any 
Um, final words or comments for the, the Cycling BC community? Well, I will say, firstly, uh, uh, this weekend I would have been in Vancouver for the Grand Fondo World Championships, which are supposed to be this weekend. Uh, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that they're not happening because of COVID, because all the smoke in the air. I couldn't imagine, you know, doing the, the Grand Fondo, racing the Fondo with all that smoke. Um, that would not be good. But, um, yeah, really hope that... Uh, Grand Fondo Whistler comes back next year and um, hopefully Grand Fondo Worlds could happen in Whistler and Vancouver at some point again. But um, yeah, I know as a final word, you know, cycling is such a great sport. You can enjoy it in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, just riding for fun, riding on gravel. Um, you know, the, I've got a new gravel bike. I've got a Brody Romax and I'm just ripping up gravel roads right now. Super fun. Uh, mountain biking, you know, I've raced Cape Epic twice in my fifties. Uh, it's, you know, just riding cross country mountain bikes is so much fun. I'm not so much of a daredevil to do enduro or, you know, the, any kind of jumping stuff, but, um, you know, I leave that to my, to the young kids and my son, but, um, <laughs> but I just love riding bikes and the more you can ride the better, but don't get stuck just doing one thing, ride all different types of bikes and, and, uh, and learn about, don't, and, you know, push yourself, learn about track cycling, try track cycling and see what that does. And if you do a winter of track cycling, I guarantee you will be a better cyclist the next year. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. You know, one, one of the things I really admire about you, uh, in addition to you always have a smile on your face and what comes through, I think is your, your joy and passion and love for, for cycling, whether it's, you know, at any level and just riding for fun. And that really shines through. And I, I really admire that about you. So thank you for continuing to, to pour so much joy into the sport and supporting the sport at so many levels. I know you've been a good friend to Cycling BC for many years. And again, congratulations on your induction to the BC Sports Hall of Fame. And we'll catch you on, on Flow Bikes, hopefully during the rest of the Tour de France. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, really appreciate this. And yeah, never forget your roots, right? We hope you enjoyed our chat with Alex Stita. Search for this podcast episode on our website at cyclingbc.net and you can learn more about Alex and watch a video of his famous effort at the second stage of the 1986 Tour de France, where he laid claim to the yellow jersey, becoming the first North American to do so. Alex is also providing commentary on this year's tour on Flow Bikes on the Flow Sports Network. Cycling BC members can receive an exclusive member discount on Flow Bikes. For more information, visit the member benefits area at cyclingbc.net. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. And in the meantime, be safe and enjoy the ride.